0: Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's word to help you and remind you that God is pro you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and
1: get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, good morning everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, and let's jump right on into this today. I want to talk about this issue of church unity. So I want to wrap up my Southern Baptist Convention Meeting Response Series, if that's what you want to call it, um, today. Then the, the next two weeks, Pastor Greg will be giving a mini series on the mission of the church, and you don't want to miss those. Then I'll come back with the podcast and with the sermon series back in the Matthew series, with the Sermon on the Mount. But today, like I said, I just want I want to wrap up this short uh, series of sermons on the SBC, um, the meetings that. That Jill and Greg and Lori and I went to and that first week I didn't really preach a sermon I simply gave a a report of the convention meeting and discussed some of the highlights of the meeting and some of the things that disappointed us and because of the convention's lack of concern for the the biblical roles of spiritual authority last week I addressed the roles of men and women in marriage in the church and we looked at how God disciplined adam and eve and how that discipline affects relationships today you know b- between men and women specifically in the realm of spiritual leadership in the church and, and in the family well if you miss that teaching go back and watch it on youtube you can search for fbc clover and then go to the videos if you should be uh, should be there go to the first or second video that's listed or you can simply just go back and listen to it on this podcast it'll it'll be on there on there as well Well, in light of the, the obvious disharmony in the SBC and the pressing need for cooperation, you know, in, in order to train church leaders and to send out missionaries, you know, today I want to discuss the, the unity that Christians are to have with one another and how to guard it. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter four. And the, the church in Ephesus is having some unity problems. Paul wrote to them, and he, and he gave them some advice on how to address this. And this advice specifically addresses, I know, a, a singular church's issue with disunity, but the same advice can be applied to other churches with similar unity issues, even to the global church as well, which is why I'm wrapping up this SBC uh, response. Now, like I said two weeks ago, I think the denomination can turn around, but there are some things that we're going to have to do to help. So let's, let's read this chapter together in its entirety and pause along the way for some commentary. Now, we're to recognize that, that there's to be unity within the church. Look at Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We Christians are are called, aren't we? Each of us who are are Christians are so because the Holy Spirit called us. Paul teaches that in in Ephesians, that God opened our eyes. He allowed us to understand the offer of salvation. Then we were able to accept that salvation gift, and and we were saved, and, and we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this passage teaches us that we have unity of the Spirit. Not, not unity for the sake of unity, but unity for the Spirit, for, for the purposes of God. Now the Holy Spirit created a oneness among all of us who belong to Jesus. Our oneness rests in the fact that the Spirit is our common denominator. No, no matter what differing customs or practices we have, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's why he referred to it as unity of the Spirit. And we should be, we should be eager, eager to let that Spirit bind us together in the bond of peace. There's, there's no need to fight over custom and practices. If we hold to the truth, then there is peace among us that God, you know, that God gives us. It's from the Holy Spirit. Then Paul goes on to list some things in Ephesians 4 that promote unity. And I want to go over those real quickly with you. First look at verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. That's a lot of ones. What's the repetitive word used by Paul to emphasize the the unity here? It's one. Notice that the things that he listed in these verses are things outside our ability to change. There's a lot that we're going to disagree on, but the doctrines that unify us are really beyond our control. And he lists them. The Trinity, Spirit, Lord, Father. The body, the universal church that Jesus has built. Our hope, the blessed inheritance for the saints. Our faith. The only way to be saved is through faith in Christ and baptism. Now, you say there's lots of kinds of baptism. Well, this refers to spiritual baptism, the means by which we're, we believers are, are united. We're together in Christ's kingdom. Listen to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. It's the spirit that is the common denominator. And that spirit gives us doctrinal truth. Doctrinal truth promotes unity. The, the opposite is also true. If there's no agreement on doctrinal truth, then there's no chance of, of unity. So we believe those things. The second thing that really promotes unity, he lists in Ephesians 4 7 through 8 and 11 through 12. Listen to this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now skip over to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of God, building up of the body of Christ. Jesus gifted his church with godly leadership. First, there were apostles, those who saw Christ crucified and preached that to the nations. Then there were prophets, those who had specific messages for, for a, you know, for a specific church, maybe from a direct revelation of God. And then he gave the church evangelists, those with the special gift to reach the lost with the gospel message. And he gave the church shepherds, you know, pastors, elders who cared for a local group of believers. And he gave the church teachers those who would explain and apply the word of God. So these were all given for, for training believers to do the work in the ministry. So godly leadership promotes unity. Conversely, leaders who don't walk with the Lord, they, they can't lead. They can't lead in unity since by their own actions, they're opposing the purpose of the gift of spiritual leaders. The third thing that he tells us that will promote unity, is spiritual maturity. Look at verses 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Remember the purpose of the passage? It's to promote unity, Right. Well, the goal of gifted leaders is to mature the believers. We saw that just a second ago. And mature believers, they're going to study the scriptures. They're going to grow to become more and more like Christ. That They're going to be able to recognize and dismiss false teaching, those who come with false doctrine. And the more that all of us are able to do this, according to this passage, the more unified we will become. We will have unity of the faith. That's the phrase that's used there. So spiritual maturity promotes unity and if that's true then the reverse is also true immature leadership and immature believers who go and do their own thing following a differing authority are a hindrance to unity The fourth thing that he says is that promotes unity is truthfulness and love listen to 15 and 16 Rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in 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 every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How do we mature? There's one way. One way according to this passage. Um, well, no, actually that's not true. There are more ways, but only one is listed in this passage. It is to speak the truth in love to one another. That means we're, we're to be honest with each other. For each other's benefit, not not as a means of hurt or devaluing or diminishing or elevating ourselves. It is for the betterment of another. So before you tell the truth, ask God to, to you know, to help you share it with love, for the betterment of the person to whom you're going to be talking. Look, the Scripture says very clearly in First John four eight: Anyone who loves does not anyone who love who does not love does not know God because God is love. Jesus is the fullness of God and therefore he is love as well. So this person, this love, the person of Jesus is the one who joins us together and holds us together like the analogy in the scripture. And, and when we mature together, when we do our part in this kingdom, then, then we're built up and we're strengthened together, we're, we're held together in love. Truthfulness in love promotes unity. That means that truthfulness without love tears down the body and it harms unity. Because it seeks, by by its very nature, separation from one another. The fifth thing that he mentions that would promote unity is righteous living. Look at verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, remember, the Gentiles at that time, they had no definitive moral law. They weren't given the law of Moses. They only lived according to what they considered right to be in their own minds. What was their context for that understanding? Well, we'll look at the passage. Unrighteousness that comes from living outside the knowledge and the will of God. They didn't know God's law. So the things they did were futile. They, they had darkened, alienated, they were alienated, they were ignorant, they had hardness of heart, they're, they're callous to the things of God. This describes their understanding of, of God. So they had no choice but to live in, in sensuality, in greed, in all kinds of impurity. There is no unity among people only living for themselves, driven by only their, their sense of right and wrong, what's right in their eyes. There's no unity there. It's not possible. Righteous living, however, unites people. It comes from one source of morality, one source of authority, and that's God. Righteous living promotes unity. There's another thing he says promotes unity in verses 20 through 24, and that's true conversion. Listen to what it says. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your formal manner of life and and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He speaks of the new creation of a believer. A new believer is not only able to be driven by the passions of the flesh, but now he can be driven by the, the passions of the Spirit as well. As, as we're taught, as, we're, as we learn of him, as we mature, we're able to put off that old way of living, to set, you know, to, to set that, that old set of sinful passions and, and, and put it on the back burner, increasingly live by the new set of passions by righteousness, and by holiness. Only a, only a true converted or, or saved person can be consistently drawn by these spiritual passions. Remember the context, unity. So that conversion unifies everyone who would choose to live to that end. It promotes unity. True conversion promotes unity. Now those six things promote unity but then Paul doesn't stop there he goes on to give a list of some things some actions that will guard it that will guard it number 1 deal with falsehood listen to Ephesians 4:25 therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of members one of another if if truth and love unifies us then we have to deal with any falsehood that may divide us this is why we stand in opposition to some of the SBC uh, leadership. False teaching. Don't misunderstand me. Not difference in practice, false teaching. Whereas difference in, in practice might say, you know, you only sing these kind of songs or you you only observe the ordinances this many times a year or you have to do missions this way. False teaching says, you know, people-centered songs are pleasing to God in worship observation to the ordinance of the old test to the ordinance of, of baptism is old testament rules it's not for us today and there's no need to do missions since god chooses those he would say do you see the difference if the false teaching changes the biblical message the mandates the doctrines found in the bible we must deal with it and the north american mission board changed the definition of the gospel the gospel of jesus christ they make it a works-based gospel by necessitating that CRT sentence must be our tenets must be uh, adhered to for, for proof of salvation. We must deal with NAM. And the comment that the gospel writer Mark was a plagiarist, as Mark Barber says, was, that's got to be dealt with. That is a false statement against a biblical author, author who devalues the scriptures. The scriptures. Man, I'm having troubles talking today. And, and dealing with these falsehoods will guard unity among the denomination. Second way he says to guard unity is to maintain a righteous anger. Listen to Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We must be very, very careful to not sin in our anger. There is anger that's not sinful. You know there. There's a righteous anger that's not vengeful, selfish, prideful. there's an anger to be shown for the spiritual betterment of others. there's an anger that can be shown that's that's you know in, intended to address the things that that diminish or, or taint the glory of God. These are the angers that we are allowed to keep and take action with but the others, the ones to be dismissed and dismissed quickly, we must do that. Don't even go to sleep with that kind of anger in your heart. A righteous anger guards unity because, because it, it desires rightness. It seeks the best of another person that, you know, may be wrongly offended. An unrighteous anger divides people for selfish reasons, but a righteous anger, a righteous anger, it, it can, it can guard unity. So don't, don't mess with that wrong kind of anger. It'll bite you. It's, it's dangerous. The third way to guard against unity is to stifle the devil's work. Look at Ephesians 4.27 and give no opportunity to do the devil. Now, I, I generally I generally don't want to give the devil any credit. I mean, none whatsoever. But frankly, you got to admit, he works hard. And if you give him any wiggle room at all, he's going to cut loose like a like a toddler out of a stroller in Target. He's going to destroy a situation in a skinny second. Now, the best way to stifle him is, is to not give him any room to work in your life. Don't, don't let him fill your mind with unrighteousness from websites and TVs and, and movies and music. Don't, don't let him dictate your time and passions by introducing temptate, you know, tempting situations. Resist him. Resist him and you'll stifle him. Do you know that the word devil in the Greek means to slander, to accuse, or defame? But more properly, it's understood as the one who slanders, a false accuser, one who unjustly criticizes another or maligns them and condemns people in order to sever a relationship. Everyone understood this about the devil. He he divides people from one another and from God. And one of the devil's primary tactics is to divide the church. That's why Jesus prayed in John seventeen twenty through 22. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. So if the devil's work, which is divide and conquer, is stifled, unity might have a chance in the church. And since Jesus wants unity in His church, stifling that devil will guard it. It will guard unity. The fourth thing that'll help us guard unity is to do your part of the work. Look at Ephesians four twenty-eight. Seems to be out of place, but keep it in context. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this may indeed be a, a reference to an actual person stealing from the church. But in the context of unity, it makes more sense that this can be a reference to people not doing their part in the church, not doing the work, but instead, but, but insisting on gleaning from the benefits of being a part of the church. They're giving nothing, but they're gaining everything. Meanwhile, those giving and serving, they're growing disillusioned about the joy of giving and serving. A huge cause for disharmony in the church has always been people not pulling their weight. Leaders get angry about volunteers who've committed and then do not show up. Volunteers get angry when no one else will take their turn in volunteering. Can I be honest with you? Let's get real here. In our church, in every church, a small list of preschool workers and, and children and youth workers is a problem. People are getting lazy and, and forgetting that they they serve one another and overwork in some and lethargy in others. That's going to cause bitterness. There, there's no excuse for this. See how each of us doing our part can cause unity? How, how being lazy can cause disunity? Giving service and not just taking benefits will guard unity. We must all do our part. Fifthly, another guard is to speak with a filter. Listen to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is is as good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Look, you you can say things that will actually corrupt the unity of the church (laughs) that's the power of the tongue and usually it usually begins with a phrase you know i I know i shouldn't say this but well if you know you shouldn't say it you probably shouldn't say it go go to that church member in question and deal with it your speech should be gracious and, and building up of them but don't make another member think ill of them if someone's slacking off or stuck in sin go to them Encourage them to do to get better. Don't don't talk about them to another person. Every time that bit of information is shared and it will be reshared, retweeted, and reposted, another court of disunity is created. And the more the church talks about each other, the more disunity increases. Why do I preach against the SBC leadership then? Because the SB leadership must be and has been challenged. They've been encouraged, they've been warned by letters, emails, texts, even from comments from the floor of the convention. And we must continue to do our part in private and take the next step and publicly address these things. But, but can you see how only public criticism divides? An, un, it, an unfiltered, out-of-order uh, addressing of, of these issues will divide people. So filter your comments, filter your complaints through grace and you will guard unity that that hit me pretty hard this week and let the holy spirit do its work that's in verse 30 do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let the holy spirit do its work that's one way to guard unity if we grieve the holy spirit by cluttering his temple with sin you know your body is is the temple then you're going to grieve the holy spirit We grieve the Holy Spirit by ignoring His urgings. He moves moves us to do work of righteousness, and we can ignore that and grieve Him. We grieve the Holy Spirit by taking over His job. (laughs) You know some believers that do this? They try and take over the Spirit, the the Holy Spirit's job. They, They try to put Him out of a job. They want to convict. They want to change someone, and they want to get the glory for doing it. Only the Holy Spirit can change someone's heart. We, we tell the truth and we pray the listener will hear and respond, but there's already a Holy Spirit, so let him do his work. Freeing up room for him to work in and through your life will guard unity. And finally, the last way he gives that you can guard unity is to love others. That seems so simple, doesn't it? Listen to verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What's the second half of Jesus's answer to the to the Pharisee's response? What is the greatest commandment? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you truly love, if you want the best for a fellow believer, it's hard to be bitter, to be angry, and to want revenge and gossip about them when you truly love them. That's why we're told in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Loving others will will guard unity among the believers. Look, concerning our, our dealing with the SBC let, let's write and text and email and deal with any falsehood with our spiritual leaders personally. Let us speak through a filter of grace and do that. Let's love and encourage righteousness in, in them and in our entities. And let's pray for the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds. And if need be, we need to address this. And concerning our, our church, you know, the church that you attend, let, let's, let's promote Unity. By, by proving our salvation is real with righteous living, by, by holding on to biblical doctrine, by valuing the gift of matured leadership, by striving for spiritual maturity ourselves, and by loving deeply and telling the truth. Let, let's be sure in our church to guard unity by dealing with falsehood, by maintaining a righteous anger only when necessary, by stifling the devil's work and doing ours, by loving each other and speaking graciously about each other and allowing the holy spirit to do his work I, I hope that was a blessing to you i hope you took some notes if not go back and catch it again should be the outline in the uh in the in the post below this podcast check that out if you have any questions you know any comments any anything that you'd like to talk about please please just email me mike at fbcclover.com i'll start an online conversation with you anytime well, thanks for listening today let me pray for you and then i'll cut you loose father i thank you for those hearing and listening hearing the word of god today and i ask that you would imprint this on their lives on all of our lives bring this to the front of our thinking so that we can promote unity and people will see there is a truly huge difference between the church and other groups in the world and then they'll ask why and we can share the gospel father Help us to be intentional about this, and we'll we'll give you glory for it. And I bless every person listening. Thank you in Christ's name, Amen. We well, hope you have a great day. Uh, call me or text me, <laughs> email me if uh, if you you want to start an online conversation. But until our next podcast, which will be about three weeks from today, until the next podcast, be blessed and remember, if you're walking with the Lord, He is very much pro you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed and remember, God is pro you.